Hey everyone, welcome to a very special and very belated edition of Saltier Politics. Um, we've got to talk about where the hell you've been the last year, because I don't oh think God. I don't think people know why we put this on pause and what you've been up to. Last, I think last we checked, you were working at CNBC for Shep Smith. So what's going on? Yes. Well, we we've, we've had quite um, a journey. I was after Shep, who is no longer on air. Um, I went to CNN Plus, and as we all know, CNN Plus, that did not last very long, and I was laid off from that. And then I got a really cool gig uh, working for Roku and Emerald Lagasse on the show called Emerald Tailgates, and I've literally been traveling to every football city around the country, finding super fans of each team, and I've been trying to find interesting super fans because the news person in me wants to find somebody who's not like a white dude sitting on a couch, but like really interesting storylines. And um, I've been going around, I've been interviewing them, finding the iconic foods of each city, which has been really cool because I've got to see cities around the country I would have never seen. And then go to those iconic restaurants. And then back in New Orleans, Emerald makes that meal um, inspired by that city's local specialty. So it's been a whirlwind and right now um that position is over so right now we're we're on the job hunt oh yikes well what's the coolest what of all the food cities you went to what was the coolest meal the most unexpected meal i guess you had well okay so i really was surprised by a lot of cities but honestly julie the most enjoyable meal was boston because i love the seafood and Literally, we went to several restaurants, and my cameraman, he, I think, ate during our shoot a total of 72 oysters. <laughs> um, because, because, like, they get, they present at all these restaurants these, like, massive seafood towers, which are, like, you know, you buy those once a year if you get them at all. And so each restaurant we went to, and they're like, uh, so this food's going to go to waste. I'm like, all right, to so my cameraman, I guess you and I are just going to eat this. And, uh, yeah, so that was, like, probably the coolest but like cities surprised me. Like I really enjoyed Cincinnati. I didn't think I'd like it. I really loved Atlanta. Um, so yeah, there, there were cities like being able to see different cities was really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's a great, I love the idea for the show and it's a pretty incredible culinary, culinary traveling epilogue. But honestly, Julie, I would say a big thing too. My brain was so tired with the news because I think the last time we spoke, like we spoke about Ukraine, which is still a shit show. Um, but like reporting on that every day and getting the mental brain break from a daily just influx of hard breaking news. Actually, like now I'm looking and reading the newspaper every day, excited about it and passionate about it. But I needed I think my brain just needed time off. I don't um, know if you felt that. <laughs> I, I feel that way every day. I wish my brain could take some time off. I keep thinking I, I've got to like uh, I have this fantasy of when my son goes to college of moving to Europe and like not just Europe to like live in Europe and, and do what I do here in Europe, but literally find a house somewhere in Italy that's kind of remote. And, okay. and, and I don't want to deal with any, like I, I hear you. I don't want to deal with the news. The problem is of course the news follows you everywhere. And then you think about moving to Italy and you realize, Oh wait, Italy has like a completely dysfunctional, crazy government right now. You think about where in the world you can go where you don't have to deal with this nonsense, and the problem is I don't even know. I don't even know anymore because it's it's literally nowhere. But I, Julie, I, we, let's let's give them an update on you. You've been 
doing pretty incredible things and I've been seeing you and Gretchen in the news. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. So, um, God, it's been so long since we spoke, but yes. Um, I don't know if we, the last time we spoke, um, I don't think we had, but we finally passed our, um, the Speak Out Act, which is the legislation to ban NDAs for um, sexual misconduct, but just pre-dispute NDAs. So Gretchen and I cannot um, get out of our Fox News NDAs based on this legislation, but that's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but it's okay for the larger cause because it's a huge marker down from the United States government that NDAs stink. <laughs> so we're taking this piece by piece by piece and, and, and pretty excited about that. We'll be back for more. We'll be back um, asking Congress and, and, and different state legislatures. In fact, we're going up to Albany in New York uh, next week to to call for a stronger NDA ban in New York state. And we think that if New York gets done, it's just going to be dominoes that fall state by state. Because as you remember, I think we talked about New Jersey, California and Washington state already passed incredibly strong NDA bans. And so if New York goes next, it's just going to be virtually impossible. I think for a lot of companies that are domiciled in, in any of these states, including New York to then subject their workers in other states to, a dual standard. So very psyched about that. But listen, the reason we decided to basically come out of hibernation on the Saltier Politics podcast is because of our old employer, Fox News. And what has been going on there? And and you are more free to talk than I am about certain elements. Um, but it was it was just between Dominion and then Tucker. Um, I mean, it's, it's like a, it's crazy train. So tell me your thoughts and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Well, you know what, Julie, I honestly, I, I mean, you, you, I don't, I don't hate to see it and I don't hate to see him called out, but to be completely honest with you, it's like, it doesn't surprise me because it always brings me back to the line. I remember like when your lawsuit came out and I like, like obviously you, you'd read it and like I remember there was a line about like the Eagles. You you, you can talk like, about it. I just have to sit here and silently nod along yeah, like, to what I you're think saying. It was the Eagles. So if, if it's the right, <laughs> but compared the leadership at Fox to like I think the Eagles, but it would be like if one member of the band is or a couple members are gone, but you still have the same couple members in charge, which is the culture there. And so the same people are in charge of the ales days so it's like the culture isn't changing and hasn't changed so i don't i think i think this lawsuit was just a slap on the wrist because and it's going to stay the same and they're going to just put another entitled white guy or entitled white woman into the position and it's going to continue because i think at the end of the day they care about eating their audience um what they want to hear because honestly julie the culture i think is going to stay the same because when i first joined as a writer um at fox it was just very much like it was just the culture and learning to like be talking to an audience who i don't believe they think is smart which i never agreed with and in my journalism if you look at any of my stories and the stuff you and i did we took the audience as we gave them the information and there are journalists like that at fox but i think a lot of the leadership and those who are just fueling the machine i don't think it's ever going to change well i can't I can't, um, I'm legally precluded from talking about the ban the Eagles as it relates to Fox News <laughs> based on my settlement. But um, let me quote a completely unrelated 
band, which I can talk about, um, The Who, which is what I think what you're saying is meet the new boss, same as the old boss, which is exactly what I've always said about Fox, right? Roger mm-hmm. Ailes is gone, but um, the culture really has not changed. And in fact, mm-hmm. I would actually argue the following. I would actually say that if Roger Ailes was there, and for me to say this actually I think is, is it means something because, of course, I had my differences with him as we all have read. Um, but it never would have gotten this far. First of all, I don't believe that anybody a dominion would never have happened if roger were still there because he was smart enough not to expose the network to that kind of liability and he was also smart enough to have at least the veneer of real journalism there right so he had the chris wallaces he had the shep smiths he had people like that who uh at least he could say and point to and say no no we're a news organization because of all the people that the, the few people I should say that I mentioned now today, it seems to me that, and, and the most important thing about Roger, and this is something that I think is so instructive and, and, and I've read this, but, but I'll, but I'll say this as somebody who had conversations with him about this. He once said to me that the reason the five was called the five, the show, the five. And if you remember, let me back up. The five became the five. The show came into existence after Glenn Beck was on, at, on in the five o'clock hour, and then Glenn Beck was let go, shunted to the side, whatever it was. Glenn Beck parted ways with Fox News. I don't know exactly what happened there, but but I don't think it was Glenn's decision. And then immediately, a show called The Five came on, which obviously was on at five o'clock, and, and it was a, a panel of five people on at five o'clock. He said to me, not once, but several times, that the reason that The Five was not named The Five was not because he came up with the idea, as he said, in five minutes, which he claims he did, which I believe. Um, not because it was five people. Not because it was on at five o'clock in the afternoon. But because he could go out on the street and find five random people to pluck off the street. And he can replace the five people who are on the five now with any one of those people. And that show would have done just as well. Because in his mind, nobody was indispensable. Everybody was dispensable. And he's not wrong. I mean, the five has gone through several iterations and and it just keeps getting better. So the point is, it's not like when Eric Bowling was there, Kimberly Guilfoyle was there, or or Juan Williams, or or Bob Beckel, or me, um, that when any of us left, it suddenly the ratings went down. It didn't. And I believe that if any of the people who are on the five today left, the ratings still wouldn't go down because he was right about that. Nobody's indispensable. And the reality is nobody, and the message was nobody's bigger than the network, not Glenn Beck, who was replaced by five randos, not the five people who are on now who could be replaced by the next five randos. It doesn't matter. And what's so fascinating about the rise of Donald Trump and the Dominion lawsuit and the fall of Roger Ailes, all of which happened, the rise of Donald Trump and the fall of Roger Ailes happened in tandem. I mean, really, uh, he left, I think Ailes was fired the week of the Republican convention when Trump was coronated. (laughs) I remember this because I was at Fox back then and I was in Ohio um, that same week. And Mm -hmm. as you saw one ascend, you saw the other, obviously, first leave and then and then ultimately pass away uh, about a year later. What's interesting about that is that 
somebody did become bigger than the network and it led to all of their troubles. And the person who was bigger than the network was not Tucker and it wasn't Glenn Beck and it wasn't Bill O'Reilly and it wasn't any other star, Sean Hannity, none of these, these, these massive stars uh, who you see on Fox, but it was Donald Trump. He became bigger than the network. He could hold the network hostage. He effectively could blackmail the network into saying and doing ridiculous things in order to curry favor with him and his supporters. And in fact, that's what you saw happen with Dominion. And what's so fascinating to me about that is, had Dominion not, had, had that not happened, had, had, I wonder to this day, if Roger were still there, would Donald Trump have been allowed to become so huge? Because it's not good, and Roger knew it's not good for Fox. I, I believe he knew that. And I believe he knew it was bad for the network. And in fact, it turned out to be catastrophic for the network. It cost the network almost a billion dollars because they became scared of a man that they couldn't control. And in fact, he controlled them. The tail started wagging the dog. And that's the predicament they find themselves in. And by the way, this $787 million settlement is just the start. You've got Smartmatic coming up. You've got a bunch of other issues coming up. I mean, this is going to cost the Murdochs a tremendous amount of money, and it is all because somebody became bigger than the network. And what's interesting to me is Rupert Murdoch fired Tucker Carlson, and one of the reasons, I, we don't know why, but one of the reasons that, that, that I've read about or one of the suspicions is because Tucker became bigger than the network or thought he was bigger than the network. Uh, Tucker was never bigger than the network. Right, Megyn no. Kelly was never bigger than all, all of these people who left were never bigger than the network. Bill O'Reilly, all of them. Only one person was and continues to be bigger than the network, and that's Donald Trump. So you're replacing, as you said, it's it's kind of like switching out chairs in the Titanic. You're replacing Tucker. You're, there's going to be, you know, when O'Reilly left, everybody thought, "Oh my God, what's going to happen?" Bill O'Reilly, such an institution, been here since the day one, and 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 how can the network be? go on without somebody who's so closely identified as the face of the network, Bill O'Reilly. It was just fine. Tucker's ratings were even better. And you're right. Whoever they put into that spot will be even potentially even bigger than Tucker. But that's not the problem for them. (laughs) The problem for them is Donald Trump. It's not whoever's in the eight o'clock slot. Completely agreed. I think this is an excellent point, Julie, because you're right. They kowtowed. Completely. And I remember like just right after the election, there was a moment where like, is Fox going to rise above this and they're going to be more journalistic or, and it went the other way. And what's so interesting is remember they freaked out. Remember how they got into trouble with Dominion. They freaked out because is it Newsmax? I think Newsmax started doing really well in the ratings and they weren't worried about MSNBC or CNN. They were worried that Newsmax was starting to take away their market share with the right-wing conservative. And they were offering a lot of Fox employees much more money than Fox. Is that right? Yeah. I know, I like, know a that. lot of my coworkers. Yeah. Yeah. He's not just offering, like, much bigger, like, I mean, like, significant for journalists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting. But, I mean, that aside, the audience obviously decided to go where the crack was, and the crack being peddled at the time was that Donald Trump lost the election, and so Newsmax was, was peddling the crack, which right. was to say that, no, in fact, he won the election. <laughs> The problem for, for the the problem for Fox. So again, we're having the same dynamic where this week, at least, Tucker left or was fired. The ratings dived. Newsmax doubled or tripled. I forgot what it was in the eight o'clock hour. Um, Eric Bowling, who hosts the APM 
hour on Newsmax, who used to be obviously a Fox um, on the Five with me and, 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 you know, on other shows, is now hosting the 8 p.m. hour. He is fully embracing the Trump worldview. So they, so the audience, enough of the audience went to Newsmax to send a message back to Fox. The question for, for, for the Murdochs, I guess, is what do they do in response to that? Because the last time they did something in response to that, it cost them $787 million and probably much more when Smartmatic resolved itself. So what do they do now? Do they double down again on the crazy MAGA nonsense? Or do they say, you know what, enough is enough. We're Fox News. We have always survived. We will continue to survive. No reason to panic. If you were if you were giving them advice, I mean, honestly, I think they should treat their audience as if they're not idiots. Like, because I truly think just feeding people what they want to hear, which every network does in a way, but like, it's just been so egregious and so bad. Like, be like, you know what? We think you guys are smart and can see the facts. Here they are. Or like more factual stuff. And if you're like talking to your audience in a way that Fox is so good at doing, but doing it in a way, be like, you know what? Here's an actual fact. We want to help you guys as you're like moving through the future. I think if they took it more like that, they can still go super right wing, but like more like that, that could be a difference. And you know, you know what I'd say about the Fox audience, which I think is, uh, I think some of the audience gets this. I think unfortunately too much of the audience doesn't get this. And I remember. Um, when I was on Fox getting these insane, obviously daily emails and tweets and texts and God knows what about, you know, what a horrible human being I was. I think the Fox audience misunderstands something. And this is especially true when you're on panel shows, right? And I, and I spent an awful lot of time on both the five and outnumbered, which was the, the, the panel shows, um, that Fox has, or at least had back then. I don't know what they have now because I haven't really watched. In real life, everybody kind of gets along. Yeah. And and when you go to commercial break, everybody kind of jokes about the fact that it's almost like everybody everybody got the joke, right? Everybody understood that this was basically like WWE, right? And my job was to be like the Iron Sheik or whatever. I'm now dating myself to like the 80s. But like the WWE, when, when it was called the WWF, and I only know this because my father used to watch it. It drove me crazy. But you had the villain. Like you had the designated villain. There was a designated good guy that the audience rooted for. And then you had the designated villain. And I understood my role, right? My role at Fox was to be the designated liberal villain, right? It was to show the Fox audience what life would be like if people like me were in charge, right? (laughs) And in reality, and and everybody understood, I shouldn't say everybody, the smart ones, the anchors, the panelists, everybody got the joke. Everybody understood why they were there. Everybody right. got it. And the best sound bites came from when they, when them would get into it, into it. There it was, great. there it was, great. yeah. And they don't like, this is the part that, that, that I think the audience doesn't get. It's kind of a joke, right? Like everybody gets the gig. Everybody gets the these text messages about were also damning because it's like there's you're seeing it. <laughs> of course, like you know, I I'm kind of fortunate because I was in an incredibly privileged position of never having to be told what to say because I didn't have to preach to the choir. Right. But everybody else kind of understood they were preaching to an audience of one. And the one thing I think about Fox that's so fascinating is that back in my time except for me and, and, and maybe one or two other people who are like-minded, 
everybody there, because we all knew we were not, look, I was never going to get my own show. I was a liberal, right? So I didn't have to worry about it. you did get your own show. I did get my own show on foxnews.com, which we created. But I mean, I was never going to get like, you know, I was never, (laughs) I was never going to take over for Tucker, right? But, but everybody else there is dying to get their own show or dying to, to get more airtime or whatever it is. So back in my day, they, like, you could speak to 3 million people on the show, but really you were speaking to an audience of one. And that audience of one sat in a corner office on the second floor and his name was Roger Ailes. Like that's who you were talking to. You were talking to an audience of one. And that was, I guess, okay. I'm okay. Not okay, but it is what it, even the audience then wasn't respected because nobody cared about the audience. They just cared about Roger. But, but, but at least back then you were talking to an audience of one who kind of, not kind of, who, who who cared about the network because he ran the network. Today, everybody there is talking to an audience of one. But the audience of one is not an executive on the second floor. It's not even... Who cares about the well-being It's of not even Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch. It's a guy sitting in a retirement home called Mar-a-Lago in Florida. That's what's so scary to me is that's the audience of one who all of these people are preaching to, and that's who holds them hostage. And that's what's costing the network money. And I think belatedly, Rupert Murdoch and Lachlan Murdoch realized, maybe I hope they realized for their own sake, and I I say this sincerely, this is not even a criticism of them, this is just an analysis of it. I think belatedly they realized it's not the opinion of the executives of Fox that matters, it is the opinion of somebody that the executives of Fox cannot control that matters. But also... Roger had the best interests of his network in mind. Donald Trump could give two flying shits. Of course. Of course, because he holds them hostage. Of course. All he does, listen, if Donald Trump today put out a, whatever they're called, a truth social, or put out a statement saying, hey, everybody, Fox News is woke. It's gone off the rails. It's, you know, fake news. Everybody turn on Newsmax. That I don't know if it would be the end of Fox News, but believe as they're negotiating their carriage fees right now, apparently it would cost them a lot of money because a lot of people would leave. A lot of people would leave. All he has to do is say that. And Newsmax, I mean, Newsmax really would become a massive rival to the network. That's all he has to do. And it's interesting because he's doing, I think on May 10th or 12th, I forgot the date, but he's doing a town hall with CNN. Remember fake news CNN? Clinton News Network, whatever he used to call it. Yep. He's doing it, for t- I think, for two reasons, right? One is to show Ron DeSantis that he can go into, you know, quote unquote, the belly of the beast, the way that he thinks Ron DeSantis, this is, this is more of a, you know, a, a jab at Ron DeSantis who, who only talks to friendly media. Which but, you love to see. Which you love to see. By the way, in, in this fight like, between, we're, we're Tr- get, I'm rooting for Trump. I'm rooting oh for- my God. <laughs> the, the, the only thing that, the only good part about this is how Trump does summarily take down um, a lot of these institutional figures in the Republican Party in a way that is just, I mean, hilarious. Yeah. But also, but, dig that grave. So. But before we get to DeSantis, one of, so I think one of the reasons is that. The other reason, and a reason that if I were Fox, I'd be a little concerned, maybe they are, is it's basically a middle finger to Fox News. Right? Oh. Because, because, because the question will be the following. When he does this town hall, whose ratings are going to be higher? CNN, which is in distant third place, or Fox News? 
in the hour, two hours, whatever, that CNN, that Caitlin Collins, who, by the way, I know a lot of people in my party are, or in your party as well are freaking out about CNN giving him airtime. The guy is a presidential candidate and, by the way, probably will be the Republican nominee and Caitlin Collins is no slouch. I have absolutely no problem with CNN doing this. I know a lot of people disagree with me, but assuming Caitlin Collins does a good job and she's a tough interviewer, I don't see a problem with this. But anyway, if, in fact, he delivers higher ratings in that 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock hour, whatever it is, for CNN than Fox gets, that's the message to Fox that I can take you down anytime I want. Which is a grave that they have dug for themselves. Yep. Which, you know, again, I'm, I'm not like mad about, but it's, it's, it's incredible to see. The, the, this is why like, I'm getting back in like, to the news cycle and I'm just enjoying it. But I mean, also the country's at stake. Um, but I think it's very interesting to watch. And I think also, I think CNN giving Donald Trump a platform, I think, again, it's the idea he is a presidential candidate and people need to see where he stands. Period. The end. This is such a Shakespearean like <laughs> plot line because it is so self-manifested and or maybe it's a, not to get to whatever, but like, you know how like in Chekhov, there's always this famous line, if you if you see a gun, there's a gun in Act 1, it'll go off in Act 3? Yes. I don't, yeah. So it's kind of the same thing, right? You'd have to be really, really prescient and smart to have seen the way this was going to roll. But the right. reality, but, and, and I certainly wasn't, this all begins... Really, I mean, not not to tie this, uh, and I don't want to overstate this, because and it's not because I love her and she's a close friend and we work together, but I really believe this. To me, the saga began the day that Gretchen Carlson filed her lawsuit because that was the beginning of the end of Roger Ailes. And there's a direct line between the end of Roger Ailes, the rise of Donald Trump, which I'm not sure would have been as successful for Trump if Ailes were still around, the demise of... Fox to some extent because of the Dominion case and the Smartmatic case, and it's it's just it's it's so operatic. I don't I don't know how to say it, but like in Act One, this happened, and and you have you know you had to anticipate it, which I I certainly didn't. But in retrospect, and every other cliche about hindsight being twenty twenty, it made so much sense as to this arc that just happened. Right. Well, maybe it's more Oedipus, like maybe like. Roger's the dad and Trump is mom. And then like the hubris is just bringing them down. I don't know. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> but yeah. It's... I, I agree. I think also with, with Gretchen being able in, in starting the whole, essentially with all of these lawsuits and the downfall of Ailes. Um, but it's also like, I think emblematic because it's the, when women and minorities in the status, you rise up against a status quo at the same time, though, you're getting this crazy machismo, anti-woman, misogynistic blowback, too, when, like, yeah. women do start to stand up. And if you time. think about this, you know, you raised, you, you raised the question about women. I don't know. Did you ever work with Abby Grossberg when you were there? Did you ever overlap with her? I, I didn't. I didn't. Okay. So Abby Grossberg, for people who don't know, was she filed an explosive lawsuit, which, by the way, if you read the complaint, is, is incredible because it lists a litany of all the, all the sins of, of, of Fox News uh, with respect to women and, 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 and race and, and whatever else in her complaint. But 
Um, she was, she, I think she had come over from CNN. She was Maria Bartiromo's, um, booker, producer, everything. They, they passed her over for an EP, she claims, because, uh, and replaced her with some much less experienced man. Uh, then they made her a booker at Tucker's show and, and she just relates, according to her, just a, a incredible, you know, sexism, anti-Semitism, racism, all sorts of things happening at Tucker's, at Tucker's show. But um, what is interesting to me about her complaint is that a lot of the things that she says were very similar to the complaints that not just women but also people of color and others filed um, during the Ailes years. People might not realize this, but a few years ago, the New York um, Human Rights Commission actually investigated Fox and fined them a million dollars, which is a joke, uh, which is, you know, like a probably what they spend on, <laughs> on shrimp at the annual Christmas party. Right. Um, if they still have those. But what they also... And, and, and part of that settlement was you couldn't force anybody into arbitration for a couple of years, and I think that's over now, and, and whatever. The settlement was kind of a joke. But what wasn't a joke is that Fox said, with respect to the settlement, yes, this this may or may not have happened. We're not admitting, I don't think they admitted any wrongdoing, but all of these are legacy matters dating back to before the current regime. Well, if you read Abby Grossberg's complaint, which took place entirely under the current regime, it's exactly all the same stuff. Because it's exactly all the same leadership. And as I said, as I started out saying, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Everything she's alleging is entirely consistent with what Fox said were, quote unquote, legacy matters from when I was there and and, and Gretchen and God knows, you know, probably 20 other, 50 other people I could list who, who complained about stuff. So they're, are they legacy matters? And if they are legacy matters, I continue to say this. If Fox thinks that things have changed and they have nothing to worry about anymore and Roger Ailes is gone and his successor Bill Shine is gone and nobody there had participated in any legacy, quote-unquote, legacy matters, then why not let us out of our NDAs? What are they afraid of us saying? These are all legacy matters. Roger is not around anymore. I, I, you know, whatever Bill Shine is doing, Bill Shine is doing, but he's not a fox. Why so scared? What, what do you, like, what do you have to hide? These are all legacy matters. No, because the, the legacy still, it's, it's, it's like what, again, it's, it's the same family, the same, the same army who built him up. It's all of the generals who are still in charge. The generals are still in charge. I, I don't, can't I, anything, I can't, I can't say anything, but, but I, but I will say we wrote a letter several years ago, to Paul Ryan, uh, former Speaker Ryan, who is a, um, who's on the Fox board, but is also, I, I believe at the time, I don't know if he still is, the head of their governance you know, committee, which is supposed to be in charge of war culture at Fox, and just asked him and just said, you know, you weren't there when all of this happened, so here's, just please let us out of our NDA. What do you have to hide? Um, uh-huh. Speaker Ryan never responded, which is not a surprise because what's the res- what? What can the response be? But but I'll but I'll say it again. What do you have to fear if these are all legacy matters? It's fascinating because with Tucker, 
um, who I knew very well when I was there and, and actually was friendly with. What's fascinating about Tucker is, you know, Tucker believed some of the stuff. Like, I, somebody who spent, listen, I've, a lot of time with Tucker, especially on the road during the conventions, and, and, and I just remember he and I stayed up sitting in a little cafeteria uh, on the campus of the St. Louis, uh, Washington um, University in St. Louis, before, I think, one of the debates, because I think we both had an early morning Fox and Friends hit, and we had had late night hits, so we decided, I think, just to pull an all-nighter and just hang out and talk. And so we had some fairly interesting conversations back then. And, and look, some of the stuff I, I really think he believed. Like, I think the race stuff, he fully believes. I mean, I think Tucker fundamentally has a huge racism problem. Mm-hmm. But this, and I believe he believes the Russia stuff in the sense that, I don't know if he believes it, but I think he, he's very much in America for, Tucker's kind of a throwback to the 1920s, right? The stuff that he would say about race is stuff that you heard from people who were like opposing Catholics in the 1920s, never mind. Like no Irish need apply, right? It, we're not, even, we're not yes. even talking about like black and brown people or Jewish people. We're talking about like right. even, even, even more absurd. All of it is absurd, but I mean like, stuff that I legitimately don't think I, I, I've heard in my life. I think I just read about in a history book. So that was Tucker. Tucker also had a very Charles Lindbergh kind of America first, like you can't no foreign wars. Although I think he originally supported the Iraq war, but that was back when he was just a normal Republican and before he you know became what he became. But the rest of it, Tucker was completely full of shit about, I mean, like completely. And if you ask Tucker, I remember this so well, I said to him, did you really vote for Trump? And he said, yeah. And he was kind of like giddy about it. And I said, I said, really? <laughs> and he said, yeah, just to stick it to all my neighbors. Because he lived at the time in Northwest DC, which obviously was a very liberal, Washington is liberal to begin with, but Northwest DC is, is just kind of, you know, the elite part of Washington DC. And, and it was kind of like an owning the libs, right? Like that's why Tucker voted for Trump. It wasn't because he liked him or agreed with him or you know tucker's tucker's you know tucker swanson mcnair carlson tucker comes to argue for argument's sake too yes he was all about yeah he's one of those guys right like devil's advocate guy that's not really respecting the audience right because that's not why he told the audience he voted for trump no he's putting big like big graphics on screen like just lauding the beliefs and the point of view and the, the yeah so 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 do i think he do i think tucker like trump for for some of trump's racial stuff yes do i think tucker likes trump for some of trump's sucking up to russia stuff yes and i still don't understand why tucker sucked up to the russians so much just there's more to it i think than just not wanting to be engaged in a war you know eight thousand miles away but the rest of it i know i mean i know for a fact unless he had some sort of road to Damascus conversion with Trump since he and I spoke five years ago. But the reality is he obviously didn't because we saw that in the Dominion tapes come out. It, it, it just, does he it, run it, for president or does he um, become vice president? Well, I've always said, by the way, that the one person that could take out Trump is not DeSantis. It's Tucker. It's Tucker because he's a better communicator. He has the name recognition. He doesn't have a record. Um, to point to, and he's just so up 
that alley, right? So I don't know what Tucker's going to do. Okay. I mean, God help us. And the only positive thing is maybe they just, like, that scene in the office when there's, like, the three-way, like, gun shootout, like, with Michael, Dwight, and I forget someone else, but where they're all pointing guns at each other. Maybe that is what, like, the DeSantis-Trump-Tucker potential thing could be. It's it's what you basically said, which is there's such a lack of respect for the audience. Such a lack of respect for the audience. Like, I don't think I ever once looked at the camera. Not I don't think. I know. There was never a time when I looked in the camera and said something that I didn't believe. Not once. Not when it cost me airtime. Not when it got me sometimes into trouble. Um, there was a time when I was on Outnumbered. Um, when I said something that one of my fellow panelists took exception to because uh, it offended her dad, apparently. But the reality was, I, you know, I spoke my truth. And um, remember when you and I did the clapback, which for people who don't know was, was a show that um, we had on foxnews.com, um, which I was on and that you produced, and the Seth Rich nonsense was happening, and for people who don't remember that, um, he was the young DNC staffer who was unconscionably murdered um, on the streets of D.C., and, and thanks to a combination of Russian disinformation and Fox News disinformation, a huge swath of the Fox News audience believed that he was killed because, you know, he was protecting, I don't even know why, because he still... Well, some crazy conspiracy theory. I'm not even going to rehash it now other than to say that Fox settled with the rich family after putting them through years of hell. I looked straight into that camera, Emily, and called out Sean Hannity by name. While, while oh we're, yes. and, and who the hell was I compared to Sean Hannity, <laughs> you know, in the, in the hierarchy of Fox News, but it was the right thing to do. And to this day, I think, and I think I was the only, to this day, I think I was the only person on camera at Fox News who ever did that, said what you are doing to the rich family is wrong and unconscionable. And it's not to pat myself on the back. It's just to say that you've got to respect the audience. No, that's the thing. And that's what was so exciting. As like this was happening in the control room, I, I every time you would sit in that chair for digital in the control room, I would not only do like do pretty much everything except be director. So it was like me with the headset scrolling the prompter, like doing all this stuff and then just hearing you and just like with the biggest grin on my face. And I'm like, I'm about to publish the shit out of this on foxnews.com. <laughs> well, because... Because, you right. know, they because it's right. It. And here's the you thing. They knew it. They knew it. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll say this. There are some people on that network who I think really believe what they believe. Like, I believe that Maria Bartiromo believes what she said. I really mm-hmm. do. I mean, and by the way, on a personal level, I really like Maria. I really, really do. I mean, I could profoundly disagree with her. But on a personal level, she's lovely. And I've, you know, I really like her and reading some of the stuff in Abby Grossberg's complaint about what her own people said about her, I think is really awful and uncalled for. And of course, is part of the sexism that apparently was a legacy matter, but turns out maybe it wasn't. But I believe that Maria Bartiromo really believes what she said. I believe that Sean Hannity believes some, not all of what he says. Like, I don't think Sean Hannity, well, has he admitted he never believed that they stole the election, but some of the stuff I think he says he believes. Most of these other people don't. They just don't because they're too smart. And that's the part to me that's so cynical. Like there are people on that network who privately told me they voted for Barack Obama. 
right? There are yeah. people on that network who trash Trump during commercial breaks up oh, and down and up elevator. and down. Yeah, when they show that, like, it, there's, like, a Trump speech. I was with some Fox business personality who on camera lauds Trump, but was just, like, shitting on him. And it was just me and him. He didn't know who I was. But, like, just being like, that fucking idiot. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at, to me, there's almost, like, this complete obsession. There's something about that place. And maybe it's just not that. You know what? I, I shouldn't even say this is about Fox. There is a cult of personality in the workplace where you cannot imagine life outside of it. And God forbid that you actually say something that is true or that you're standing up for yourself or others against the company line because you know the company line is wrong. And and, and you can't do it because God, so then I'll lose my job. What's going to happen if I lose my job? So then you lose your job. I mean, it's not, look, I, I don't diminish it. It's hard it is very hard to find a job in television. And by the way, after Fox it is impossible <laughs> to find a job anywhere because you're kind of tainted. And especially if you leave, you know, in an explosive way, no other network's going to hire you. I, I get all that. I get all that. So I'm not diminishing that a lot, for a lot of these people, they're the sole provider for their family. This is their financial security. It's job security. I like, I'm not diminishing it, but at the expense of what? At the expense right. of torturing a dead kid's family by saying, by promoting horrible conspiracy theories at the expense of threatening the constitution of the United States. I mean, at which point, where's the line? And I guess to me, what's so depressing is I guess there is no line, right? There is no bottom for a lot of these people. And I'm not talking about the people who really believe this stuff because like, I'll give them a pass to some extent. They believe it. I mean, you know, I don't necessarily know they should be speaking to millions of people a day based on being deluded, but nevertheless, I, I kind of, have more sympathy for them. Mm-hmm. I really have a, a struggle very much with people who don't do this because the truth of the matter is I could have kept my mouth shut. I'd still be a fox. I guess. I mean, I don't know. Well, probably not because I, you know, I refuse to do certain other things, but <laughs> I certainly could have just left quietly. But you know, at some point, you got to just stand up and just say, this isn't no, but right. It's not who you are at your soul. Like, you are now making changes in government. Yeah, um, and I don't want to make this about me because it's not about, like, oh, look at no, me, but, like, how but, great but, I am. But, like, I, I'm, I'm more talking about them. And, yeah. like, uh, how much is enough? And and I think there's also an addiction with people on TV. And I saw this inserted you, I'm, I'm sure, firsthand. They love being celebrities. They love being stopped on the street. They love being asked for selfies. They love being asked for autographs. They love doing book signings where people line up to buy their books. And it's not financial. It's more of an ego trip. Oh, yeah. And I just remember walking, you know, if you remember where the five, I don't know if it's still filmed there, but it used to be filmed this little studio that was separated from the main Fox News building by a breezeway. Almost every day when you walked out of the five, out of that studio, there'd be a few people gathered who figured out that this is where people on the five would walk out to go back to the main building and, and they would just go crazy. And, oh my God, you know, Craig can I have a selfie and Dana can I have a, you know, Kimberly can I have a selfie and could I have an autograph. And there were some people who will remain nameless who loved it, loved it. And it wasn't because they loved their audience so much. They were trying to be nice. It was because it was such an ego boost. Did you ever see a movie called Soap Dish? This is not as much of an aside as I as I intended to be. Uh, no, I've not. 
Okay, so there's a movie called Soap Dish. I think it's from the 80s, so it's I think it's before your time. But it basically takes place um, in a, like, it's like a, it's a comedy basically about what takes place on a soap opera set, like in a soap opera, right? It was kind of based on All My Children. And Sally Field played um, this, like, Susan Lucci-type character um, who was a little bit over the hill, and Whoopi Goldberg played her producer. And she was really depressed that she was over the hill and, and people weren't really paying as much attention to her as before. So Whoopi Goldberg takes her to some mall in New Jersey and has her ride the escalator. And as she gets to the bottom of the escalator, Whoopi Goldberg pretending to be a fan is like, oh my God, it's whatever her name was in the movie, you know, so-and-so. And all these like housewives come, come, come swarming. And it makes Sally Field's character feel so good because suddenly, like, her audience recognizes her and she's a celebrity and everybody remembers how great she is and she just feels like she's validated and her life is fantastic because this is what makes her gives her meaning in her life. I think for a lot of these people, that's what it is. That's what gives them meaning in their life. To be validated by complete strangers. I mean, the number of, of times that that some of these people would look at their tweets after every single, during every single commercial break to be like, oh my God, people are tweeting me this, people are tweeting me that. And I would just be laughing. I'm like, who cares? You don't know these people. Right. <laughs> They're complete strangers. That's why right. whenever I get mean tweets from people, I'd be like, I don't know you. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah, and you were, that's the thing. And you would fire back. Like, what the heck? Like, who are you? Like, you have the gumption to sit there and say your point of view full face like here I am and it's like come on these are unknown people yeah and and but but that's what I mean like it's just the tail wags the dog they once don't respect the audience and fear it it's like a combination of fear and disrespect right because you might lose a couple of members if you say something that they because somebody might tweet you something that you don't like. Somebody might say that you're, you've gained some weight or somebody might say they don't like your lipstick. Like, who cares? Who cares? Right. Well, I mean. I mean, literally, like, the number of times that every day, oh, my God, Julie's not just ugly on the inside. She's ugly on the outside and she looks awful and she, you know, needs to do this to her face or she needs to do that to her body. or she. And I was like, uh, are you my husband? Are you my best friend? And by the way, if they were, I'd still tell them to go have themselves. Like, who cares? 100%. 100%. Like, who cares? Literally, yes. That's a thing. I agree. <laughs> and um, I, I, I don't really, I don't mean to digress, but actually it's not a digression. And we probably should run after this. But it's all part and parcel of what, <laughs> all of this craziness, everything we just discussed over the last 50 minutes. Mm-hmm is what has cost Fox News $787 million. And will probably cost them another billion dollars with the Smartmatic settlement. I am really looking forward to watching. Yeah. So, um, I'm so glad we did this. I'm yeah. so glad you're back from your crazy Emerald Lagasse travels, which sound completely we must, delicious. We must do this sooner because we, we really do, because I'm really disappointed with my home state of Florida. So I think we do need another special episode. We do. We do. We had a little, like, you know, this weekend, a very special episode of Saltier Politics. We could discuss our disappointment in the state of Florida, which, as far as I'm concerned, um, I'm, I know your parents live there, but if somebody took a saw and 
sod it off and allow it to float into the Gulf of Mexico with what Ron DeSantis is doing there, uh, I would be just fine with that. Julie, this was awesome to talk to you. I hope we, we will talk again sooner, but um, this felt good. I, I feel like a new human. Right now. I'm energized. <laughs> okay. I hope people are as energized as I am when they listen to this. <laughs> Bye, everybody. All right, later.